Hello and welcome back to another episode of Holiday Seasons Coverage. From Mitch and I, we are going to talk about a few things that are on our list for people that have been nice and not naughty. Of course, Mitch, this is almost Christmas, one more week away. What have you been up to, my friend? Merry Christmas to you and to all a good night. Oh, that's the ending. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I don't even have any holiday stuff in my office. Uh, it's kind of kind of shy around here. I, I lit was, myself I, with a halo, so, you know, that's sort of Christmassy, right? There you go. Yeah. Uh, the new office is, is looking great there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. I'm excited because, I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but next Wednesday is my colonoscopy. Oh, no, not the not the butt talk again. Yeah, oh, never mind. All right, we did that. <laughs> oh, sorry. I forgot. Um, so, you know, holidays coming up. Daughter's home from Christmas from, from Christmas. Oh. Okay. Well, let's just re- rewind and start the show over. No. Hello, and welcome back to another exciting episode <laughs> you, of Holiday. You know, see, now you said exciting this time. <laughs> so what I would like to say is, for me, I don't travel on holidays. Um, I, I generally avoid it. it simply because of the rush. So I do all my visits to friends and family and so on in the early week of December 1st. So that way, when everybody is making a mad dash to the airport, I'm not involved in that horrible clustered mess and for the christmas season i have a nice quiet uh cook off with my wife and we stay in and watch the fire it's it's not too bad cook off you like have a battle i don't really no i I guess it's not really a battle (laughs) like uh, she cooks a few things and i cook a few things i don't do turkey per se on thanksgiving on a regular basis or i don't cook my own but i save the turkey that would have been for thanksgiving and cook it for christmas and so that's my secret move for the holidays <laughs> Woo-hoo! all right this isn't really all a news right. show so i'm not going to hit the news cue but there are a few things we want to talk about new before mitch and i kind of dive into holiday picks one of those things is actually an eight terabyte hard drive and this comes on the tail of announcements of a 10 terabyte hard drive that is also being sold by htgt i believe that's a sub affiliate of Western Digital. This 8 terabyte hard drive from Samsung, or Seagate, excuse me, uh, is about $239, and it has all the space. Now, the reason I brought this up is because, actually, this 8 terabyte hard drive is cheaper than two 4 terabyte hard drives, and uh, you get all the space in a tiny package. Mitch, are you ready to move to 8 terabyte hard drives? I'm still stuck on twos, uh, and I got... I got gobs and gobs of them sitting on my desk. So, you know, I you know, every anything more than two just scares the hell out of me. No, that's not true. But you mirror something like this, uh, I suppose that would be about a five hundred dollar investment, and you could really have a big chunk of storage. I've personally been using the Drobo uh, four bay for my regular storage, and that's got uh, four by four terabyte drives next to me. Uh, my server is still down, actually, and I haven't had a chance to fire that up yet. So, uh, do you have then... one of the? I'm sorry. Do you have one of the newer Drobos, or is it an older one? I do actually. I I've tested Drobos in the past, and I was pretty disappointed with the performance as far as read and write speeds go. But the latest generation of USB three Drobos are pretty snappy. Um, I'm getting upwards of 150 meg to 180 meg reads and writes wow. out of this guy. And uh, it's actually fast enough to edit from. Uh, I've got it sitting next to me right here. And 
Let me see if I can pan down. And it, I mean, you know, the, the Drobos, they're fairly right. simple, easy to use. So you've got three lights or four lights and that's it. A cute little magnetic cover. But the nice thing is for that particular model, it's only uh, 240 bucks. So really? Yeah, it's cheaper to actually go with a four bay Drobo than it is to roll your own storage solution or many other options that are out there. And for the speeds, and I'm going to double check to make sure I'm not full of crap here, but uh, <laughs> I think, and I've got... You two, would never be full of crap, DJ. I've got two keyboards in front of me, too, so this is uh, uh, this is extra fun. Four bay. Let's see, the Drobo four bay here. I'm looking on Amazon right now, and for some reason it's bringing up only white versions. Oh, I typed white. in Droid. Drobo. Oh man. White. This is I've never seen a white Drobo. Yeah, this is this is bad radio right here. Okay, so I'm gonna share my screen here so you guys can see. And actually they're even cheaper than I thought they were. Looks like one ninety nine Holy cow for the newest generation. So if you get one of these newer models, they are very snappy and they do support four terabyte drives. Uh, you can get them fully loaded with drives if you want, or you can get them without. And make sure you pay attention. It is the USB 3.0 version that you want, and that's right here for $199 new on Amazon. Uh, it's really nice. Um, I have a FreeNAS server here that has, I think, 24 or 48 terabytes of storage in it for major projects, but my desktop was just getting full of hard drives, and I was mirroring drives and, and running RAID cards and so on, and it became so much of an issue that I was like, man, if only I could simplify this. And the Drobo is that simplification for me, having uh, four 4-terabyte four drives sitting off to the side that are really easy to set up. There isn't really much in the way of programming or uh, setup or RAID controls. You just go into a really simple interface and click a few buttons. It's been a, a really nice option for me uh, i know mitch you've had experience with drobo in the past and it's right. been pretty bad right well we we have talked about it as i recall and that's why i'm i'm was kind of surprised to hear you talking about the drobo um my drobo which is sitting under my desk and the question i have to ask you is how loud is the fan you've got it sitting on your desk can't even hear it, it. the older ones are noisy as hell and it drove me crazy which is why i was shoving it way I wanted to put it in the other room if I could. Um, and I think I paid $400, $400 for it, something like that. Yeah, the new ones so. are really cheap, very quiet. In fact, the system noise from my desktop is louder than the Drobo. You, you don't even notice the, the Drobo running. Huh. Uh, the only uh, loud portion is if you turn it off and you turn it back on, uh, when the drives initially spin up, you'll get a little bit of vibration and, you know, the normal clicks and beep boops that you get out of a hard drive right. uh, firing up. But otherwise, 199 man, I used to recommend people doing like a free NAS for their server selection or using Synology or one of these other more expensive approaches. But Drobo's kind of shaped up a little bit with this latest generation and it's cheap and easy and, you know, pretty much foolproof. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I actually have one sitting on the floor over here in the corner, which I was going to grab just for fun. Uh, but the caveat, and I don't know whether it's true with the new one or not, but and I think we've probably discussed this before, but I've got a Drobo that was the second generation, so long time ago. It was probably five years old, yeah. six years old. 
and um, I lost the power cord because they weren't together. And they're damn finicky. If you don't have the right power cord, they won't boot. And I have tried to purchase, I've purchased two different power cords for this thing that have claimed to be the right voltage. Yeah. And they don't work. It just goes into a constant cycle of powering up. And so I got a Drobo sitting here I can't use, I can't sell because I don't have the right freaking power cord. Yeah, and there's a couple of caveats besides the power cord. The The newer Drobo uses a more standard laptop-style power cord. You can buy them on eBay. It's not very hard to come by. You just make sure the wattage matches. But the issue is, is that it's a proprietary uh, format. So if you ever, uh, you know, the unit dies or you lose power, in your example, you can't just take your drives out and put them into your desktop and expect them right. to read. So you'll need another Drobo unit in order to continue. You're kind of locked in. For- I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'm interrupting the hell out of you today. But isn't that true for a NAS or any other RAID kind of device? It depends on how you set it up. So if you just use a RAID card and stick it into your desktop and you're using uh, mirrored hard drives, uh, it's just one for one. So you can pull anything out of a mirrored setup and you can stick it into any other drive and you can read off of it. Uh, Hmm. If you're using a striped RAID you know, a RAID, a RAID 1 or a RAID 5, something like that, then you're going to need to use a, a little more diligence when you're trying to get your files off there because you do need to have all the files or all the hard drives that have the striped information on it or at least enough to rebuild the information that you're missing in order right. to get stuff off of there. So once you get into that category, it's a little rough. But if you're just okay. doing mirroring, it's it's not that big a deal. Okay. Good. But yeah, the and that and that was one thing that people have I've seen online that people have done drobos and tried to pull a drive out and read it in their computer and they're like, that ain't happening. Yeah, and with I often with free NAS it's even a little complicated. I tell people like, okay, you're using a free NAS, it's great, but if you need to upgrade, you're almost better off just building another free NAS, taking all your information off and then wiping that thing and using it as alternative storage because it's really hard to add to one once you've got it sort of set up the way you want, especially if you max out your drive bays, then you're going to have trouble with drive pools and so on. Right. It's a lot easier to just go get a new one and start over from scratch. And yeah. it used to be that was really cost prohibitive, but man, uh, the first systems I, I was building were like one and a half terabyte systems. And now the drives are so cheap at four terabyte and three terabyte that it's like, it's not as, as expensive to just give up on a one terabyte setup and move to the the next level up. So could I put this eight terabyte into the Drobo? Does it does it handle eight terabyte? I believe the Drobo is limited to a maximum a drive size of four terabytes. So you would not be able to put this in there. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm looking right now. Uh, holds let's see up to tw- was... no twenty four twenty four terabytes. So. That's what, uh, yeah, six, six is the maximum. Six terabytes is the maximum, it looks like. Huh, okay. So not not eight, but you could do six. So that would be 24 terabytes in a drive next to your system. 
man, I really need to get this keyboard situation sorted. <laughs> I'm trying to like find stuff really quick and then I cannot. That's what you get for moving. Yeah. Oh, man. Dang it. All right. I'm looking right now and it looks like Western Digital Red six terabyte drives are about 249 so about the same price as this uh, wow. Seagate eight terabyte drive. Looks like you can buy the Seagate flavor for two nineteen, but at two nineteen, you might as well spend an extra twenty or so dollars to get the eight terabyte model. Storage, man, it's yeah. not as yeah. exciting as it seems. Now, so, so I can't go sell my old Drobo and make a lot of money on it at this point. Oh, no, no. You, that's a paperweight, <laughs> man. You, you might as well just uh, toss that in the water, unless you need information off your drives. Uh, yeah. Are the drives of any value? You have uh, large capacity drives in there, or are you just sitting on some, like, 500s? Well, the, you mean the one that's on the floor that I don't have the right power for? Yeah. I, I recycled those and put them in, in my new dro- my newish Drobo, which is Generation 4, I think. I see they used to name them and I don't know if they're naming them anymore, but so I have the Drobo that's on the floor that I use purely as a backup is got, um, four, two terabyte drives in it. Ah, so it's a good idea to keep an eye on the prices for those Drobos and to make sure you know which model you're purchasing because (laughs) there's a significant difference between the last generation USB 3.0 and the current one as far as reads and writes go, as well as capacity limitations. I, I think some of the earlier ones were limited to what, I think, it, I want to say it was a two terabyte or a, a three terabyte drive maximum per bay. So those are both uh, pretty uh, pretty big stipulations if you're looking to upgrade to brand new hard drives that are rather large. Well, let me tell you, the one that I have on the floor that actually is in use as a backup gets a whopping 25 read write what <laughs> so yeah it's well, it's usb 2 it's not even a usb 3 so oh man at that at those speeds like your backup it's gonna take you know four it, days five it, days depending on the it drive runs every night it took a long time to create the damn thing but every night it just runs in the background so i don't care but wow anyway that's that's ridiculous all right, moving on down the line, uh, let's talk about some camera picks here. Um, I've got kind of a list of my favorite cameras uh, so far, and I was going to say for the year, but I kind of threw a curveball in there at myself, and I want to start <laughs> with the, the lowest price and work my way up to probably the highest price out of this list. For the longest time, I was recommending the EOS M as a camera of choice to go to for people that were on an extreme budget. But the T2i has kind of surpassed that. This is an ultra-cheap camera. If you're not familiar with the Canon T2i, it was kind of uh, released around the days of the 7D and the 5D Mark II. It has the same sensor as the 5D, or excuse me, as the 7D original, and it is around 200 bucks. Now, the reason I recommend this camera is actually, and I've, I still shoot on one on a regular basis. I've got my audio cable permanently attached to this thing. This is my T2i body right here. Is because it has full Magic Lantern support. So that means headphone monitoring, audio controls, even raw capability, although very limited, uh, in this tiny little $200 body, and it supports all of Canon lenses. So you can get one of these for really cheap, and you can kind of move up as needed down the road. And there are still people t- 
today making really beautiful images with the Canon T2i. Uh, Mitch, have you ever used any of the Rebel Series cameras from Canon or uh, for filmmaking? I actually have the T4i, and actually my daughter has been using it recently, but almost all of my uh, videos that I have shot, you know, like, product demos and stuff like that was with the T4i because it has the flippy dippy monitor that I could flip around and watch myself with have it without so I could go put it on a tripod do all kind of selfie little videos that I wanted to without having to have an external monitor and somebody else to deal with stuff I could focus it and I could do everything I needed to um I actually even use the uh crap i can't come up with the name uh it was the aperture aperture you know the folks from aperture uh they have a remote that's a usb remote that you can connect to your camera and so you can do the focusing and all that kind of stuff so i've got a long usb cord and connect that to my camera and i can do all the focusing and stuff with the flippy dippy screen and i don't need a uh, another partner to go out with me when I do those kind of reports. So that's that's the one that I was using for a long time. Does the uh, T four I have headphone monitoring? No. Oh, so no. you're kind of like flying in the dark a little bit, or we're using uh, external audio. Yeah. Uh, I typically use external audio. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that... I do put a Rode mic on the top and make sure I have good audio just I... as a backup. I wish the T2i had a flip-out screen, but still, for $200, right. I mean, cheap. that's really cheap. That's cheaper than a GoPro, and you can film 1080p video with this. If you go look around, uh, there's a number of people from Europe still shooting really gorgeous stuff on the T2i right now to this day. And there's a, I can't remember his name is escaping me. Devin would know for some reason. Uh, but there's a, a guy that shoots on nothing but a T2i and a Sigma 30mm f1.4. And his stuff is just gorgeous. So yeah. uh, well worth checking out. Um, one other thing while we're talking about remotes here, this is the RC1. If you're not familiar with this, you can find these still used on eBay. Uh, they're sometimes available on Amazon. It's been sort of discontinued. But you'll see that there's a little switch right here. And if you put your camera, your 5D Mark III, your T2i, or your 60 into uh, remote control mode, you can set this up so that the shutter button focuses your camera and then you click the switch over, and that position actually starts and stops a video recording. So if you do that, you don't even have to have wires attached, and you can use this to focus on yourself and start and stop recording without having to worry about you know, uh, someone else running the camera. So if, if you're doing blogs, these are like 10, 10 maybe $12 well worth investing in. And there's a hack out there where you take a fiber optic cable for audio purposes and you connect it to the IR blaster and you can run it around to the backside of your camera. So you can put this on a handle or anything else. And it's really easy to make. It takes a little bit of duct tape and, you know, some uh, metal twine in order to accomplish. So definitely something to do if you are looking to control your camera. Now, do you, do you have a blog post about that? I do, and if I had known I was talking about it, I would have definitely linked to it. Oh, man. <laughs> but you can do a simple search on DSLRFilmNoob.com for the RC1 and find all that stuff. Now, simple. moving on up the uh, line for price here, let's talk about the G7. This is a fairly new camera. 
the G7 is from Panasonic, and it is a micro four-thirds body. It's capable of shooting 4K. It is missing one thing that uh, we just talked about, which is headphone monitoring, but it has most of the frame rates of its bigger brother, the GH4, and it's priced at under $600. So if you want to get into 4K shooting, you want to flip out screen, as Mitch and I both have talked about many times that we enjoy, uh, and you want the capability of shooting pretty much in the same ISO range as you'd get out of the T2i for $595 to $600. This is a great starting body if you're looking to move into Micro Four Thirds. Uh, Mitch, what do you think about the Micro Four Thirds in general? I think it's taken over. Would this be a good buy? Of course it would, especially if DJ recommends it. Um I've seen a lot of chatter about the G7. A lot of people are really clamping on to this one. Clamping? <laughs> um, it's going to be one of those shows. Yeah. It is It is a struggle today for some reason. But um, Micro Four Thirds has definitely taken over. And, and, it's, and it's fascinating because people love to pixel peep. And... I got into a discussion the other day with somebody about sensor sizes and, and whether or not that really makes a big difference. So Micro Four Thirds, it's all about the output, right? It's it's all back to storytelling, like you said, even with the the T2i, the T2. Yeah, uh, T2i. Yeah, the T2i. It's it's about what your what how, your skills with the camera and what your story is. Yeah, and I've seen some, well, this goes back to the old iPhone shooter thing. Uh, you know, if, if you're careful and you do it correctly, you can shoot some pretty beautiful stuff on your iPhone. Uh, now, I, I will say that a lot of those guys are using crazy lens attachments and all sorts of extra bits that make your iPhone go from a $600 device to a $5,000 device. And right. that might be cheating just a little bit. But the G7, definitely a formidable camera. Uh, also, its bigger brother, the GH4, is down to $900 on the gray market. So, Are you kidding? No, it's really cheap. So if you want all the features, $900, the next step up is the GH4. And that has everything, no limitations. Uh, it's a little bit long in the tooth. There's rumors that the GH5 will be coming out uh, at the beginning of next year. So... I believe that's why we're seeing the price drop off because every time Panasonic releases a new camera, their previous generation drops a bit. I don't foresee the GH5 being uh, that much better than the GH4 in terms of specs. They'll probably fix a few things, uh, tighten up a few of the bits that are sort of annoying on the GH4, but uh, I, I don't foresee any major sensor changes or anything like that. When you're talking about pixels... Mitch, is 16 pixels enough for printing? I don't do much printing myself, but I've been shooting a lot on this LX100, which is only a 12 megapixel camera, and I haven't really had any complaints about even 12 megapixel shots. And then I checked my Canon 5D Mark III and my 60, and I realized I have them set at medium raw and not <laughs> large raw. So I haven't even been shooting, you know, full megapixel right. on those. Right. What do you think about the megapixel race in general? It, it all goes back to the quality of the subject. Um, let's not forget that the 5D, uh, the original 5D, I see I, it's, we get stuck in all these numbers, right? Uh, 
It was the original. Where was the 5D Mark II? I forgot. One of them was 12 megapixels, right? Yeah, th I think that's the original 5D. Because the 5D Mark II was like, what, 18? 18. <laughs> Maybe. I don't remember. No, it was, I, I think it was 12. It's, this is, we're talking about a seven year old camera, right? And DJ's quickly looking it up while I'm talking. But I believe the 5D Mark II was 12. Because when the 7D came out, it was 18. A 5D Mark II was 21.1 okay, megapixel. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Okay. So, but how many people made their careers shooting with the Canon 5D, which was 12 megapixels, right? Yes. People shot billboards with it. People made massive prints with it. Everybody was just really ecstatic with the original 5D. So it's it's also interesting that you asked that because I stumbled into a video the other day about Hasselblad. And of course, it was a Hasselblad promo video talking about why a medium format camera is so much better than uh, like the 5D with the regular with a full frame sensor. And they showed the different the full frame Hasselblad sensor is massive. It's a huge sensor. And he's talking about, you know, the pixel density and the pixel sizes and and all this other stuff and, and how if you're really going to shoot really professional models and all that kind of stuff, you really have to use the Hasselblad massive sensor. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I, I, I understand. And, and I do get jealous when if you go pixel peep on some of those. Uh, They're beautiful. They're amazing how sharp those things are. And of course, you've got to have a super sharp lens that can handle that kind of resolution, right? Uh, you get up into those massive 50 megapixel sensors and you're like, holy crap. But does it really matter to my wife who's looking at a magazine? She's just, again, looking for content. She's not looking to see whether every eyelash is, is sharp tack focused. So I don't know. We get we get so anal about some of this stuff. It's it's ridiculous. Well, one of the things too is just even going from uh, APS-C to full frame is a significant difference. No matter even without the pixels, let's let's forget about the pixels for a second. Just the format and going from full frame to medium format is a beautiful change too. And for me, it's less it. about the the pixels. It's actually about the look you get. Right. I mean, the difference between APS-C and full frame is, is um, amazing. And the difference between full frame and and medium format is just like, whoa, you know, uh -huh. you're blown away by the, the look of the image that you get out of out of that. So to me, if you're on an APS-C sensor or even a micro four third sensor and you want to go to the next level as far as photography goes, even if you're not getting the megapixels, Maybe you're right, Mitch. The The original 5D Mark One, it's 12.8 megapixels, so not all the megapixels, but that camera shoots on a full-frame sensor, and it's still pretty decent. I think 1600 ISO is, is pushing up against its limit, so probably right. in the same range as the Rebel series. But you can buy that used for, what, two or $300? That probably. is a heck of a deal if you want to shoot full frame and uh, not for video of course the original 5d mark one had nothing in the way of video but for stills right man uh, that's sexy 
And, and, and I'll give you another example. My college daughter, who's 20, and she's an art student, and she just took a photography class. That was her first time. And, and I've tried to teach her stuff, of course, and her father's a lousy teacher with, her, <laughs> with, his, with his children and his wife. They'll tell you that I'm, 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 I'm more patient with other people than I am with family members, but that's a whole other story. And she originally has been shooting with the T4I that we were talking about before, because I let her take that to college the first year. And when she started the photography class, I was like, okay, let's go shoot with the 5D Mark II that I still have. And she's like, Dad, can I have this? <laughs> can I start <laughs> shooting with this? Like, and it was the same reaction that I had when I switched from my Rebel XTI, which I don't know, back in those days was, I don't know, eight megapixels or something. Yeah, or less. It's actually on the shelf over there. But, um, switching up to the h to the hd to the full frame see it is a my brain is just way off the full frame of the canon 5d when i bought the original one was just like lightning i mean my my creativity shot up my, i i was i was able to get more images in focus you know because the autofocus just performed better with a bigger sensor and the quality of the images looks better. And she had the same reaction. She's like, Dad, you can have the T4i back. I'm going to shoot with the 5D from now on. And she got an A in the class. So I guess that says something. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, I started out on a Pentax K1000. So in the film days, I was kind of used to full frame. And then I got away from it and was shooting digital on, I think I started with, remember those old, old, um, memory cards, the CF cards that had an actual spinning hard drive inside of them? No. Really? Oh, yeah. So originally, like if you wanted to get like a, a one gig or a four gig memory card for, I think I was shooting on a, a 10D, something like that way back in the day. And it was actually like these scary memory cards, these CF cards <laughs> that actually had a spinning drive in them and you shoved them into your camera and you hoped you didn't corrupt them while you're running around and shooting all wow. day. And that was like eight or so megapixels. And I was excited about that. And, and that was a crop factor. And then when I got my 5D Mark II originally, it was just like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this beautiful camera because I wanted to go back. Actually, thank you, Canon. Canon is God here in that case. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was really nice to go back to full frame after that. And you don't realize how much you miss it until you get it again and you're like, wait a minute. And it's the same thing. Like You, you get camera lenses that you think are equivalent in a uh, crop sensor camera. Like I, I used to shoot a lot on the 30 millimeter F1.4 and the 35 millimeter F1.4, but you put those onto a full frame body and the images are different. They're right. way different. Right. Your 51.4 looks gorgeous on a full frame body and it looks pretty good on a APS-C body. And that's the problem I've been running into a lot with the micro four thirds, especially for stills. I'm it's good enough I'm happy with it I'm okay with it but it doesn't quite give me that like pop that right. you get out of full frame body and I don't Mitch is there a better way to explain that than just to say you can see the difference uh no there are a lot of people talk about IQ or image quality yeah which is you know 
there it's, there's no defined formula that, that defines it or anything but uh, there is definitely a difference between the 5d of, i'm sorry between a full frame and a crop sensor and, and going down to the micro four thirds which i haven't even done because i don't own one because i i i'm i'm, I'm addicted to my 5d mark three in terms of the image quality and and i'm i'm like i don't want to go shoot something smaller because i love what i get out of this camera why should i change now, while we're meandering around sort of my picks yeah, <laughs> for cameras back and forth, I've got two more that I want to uh, throw in for this year. And the, the, that's the original A7S, which is a full-frame camera, by the way. Uh, you can now pick these up for as low as $1,500. Uh, that's an extremely decent-priced lens or a camera body. The A7S is a king in low light. Uh, it's a full-frame sensor. Uh, what is it? I think it's 12 megapixels is the uh, sensor size. So uh, back down to the original 5D that we were just talking about. But the other one I wanted to mention is actually the 5D Mark III. And now this used to be a super expensive camera, but if you look, used prices on the 5D Mark III are, are hitting like $1,600. Wow. So if you want to pick one up, that is a really good deal. And even the brand new market, you're looking at about $2,000 for a 5D Mark III. So both the Sony a7S original and the 5D Mark III are now bumping in at around uh, $1,500 to $1,800. So if you are looking to move into full frame and you want a crazy large body and you want all the things that are associated with the 5D Mark III or the a7S, uh, those are really good deals. Also, on a side note, the 6D has just fallen off a cliff. It's Has it really? Yeah, you can find the 6D, and I'm looking frantically right now as we talk. But uh, <laughs> With I, the wrong keyboard. Yeah, I almost did that, actually. <laughs> 6D. The Canon 6D bodies are down around, I want to say, $1,100 or less. But, wow. Uh, you me... know, that that's a very interesting point, because we used to say that... Buying a stills camera was an investment because the resale value stood stood up. Uh, and and I'm not saying that you know if you bought a the original 5D Mark III at 3,200, I think we paid for it. Yeah, was the original list price, and it's now 1,600 on the used price. That's 50% drop. I don't think cameras used to drop 50% in three years. Now, when I sold my 5D Mark II off. I want to say it still fetched fifteen hundred or eighteen hundred dollars at the time of of resale, and you paid only twenty yeah twenty three hundred. So I lost maybe four hundred dollars, and I had that for right. a number of years. So so the percentage drops are are quite a bit steeper these days, aren't they? Yeah. Now here is the six D body. So if your daughter is actually looking for a full frame format and the 60 is basically full frame it's slightly less than full frame 98.7 percent full frame uh but uh it uh, looks like 80 899 dollars to 1100 dollars for these bodies so really cheap 850 buy it now or best offer man yeah it's huh. the 60 body very very affordable and when I want full frame and I want to travel, the 6D body is actually what I grab just because it's so light compared to the 5D Mark III. Uh, really? It's a, a slightly bit better in low light than the 5D Mark III, 
And while the rest of the focus points suck, that center focus point <laughs> on the 6D is superior in low light to the 5D Mark III's autofocus system. Huh. So if you're shooting in low light and you want that full-frame look, the 6D body is lighter, nicer, and it has the Wi-Fi feature that right. allows you to transfer your photos over to your phone or other devices. Now, while we're talking about devices, this is a good transition here because <laughs> we're all over the place today. I've actually got a tablet here. And if you guys remember last episode, I was sort of talking about a possible workflow that involved no computers whatsoever. And I've been messing around with this, sort of dinking around, trying to figure out a way to make that possible. And here is the 200 and... $80 Samsung Galaxy Tab S2. This is a 4x3 format, a pretty nice looking tablet. Uh, the screen is QHD, so what is that, like 2160 by 1440, something in that range. And I've got it set up now so that I can completely process a photo and kick it out to the internet without having to have a PC. And wow. I wanted to kind of show the stuff you need because it's really simple, actually. This right here is a USB card reader that is very small format and form factor. This is an OTG cable. And if you're wondering what OTG stands for, it's on the go for, for whatever reason. I don't know why ah. that is. But this will plug into the USB port on your tablet. You plug this in, and now you can actually read your raw files from, I've tested this with the Canon 60, the 5D Mark III, the LX100, and the GH4, and the program that I'm using is called PhotoMate R2. And it is capable of reading all of these raw files and giving you basic processing options for your photos. Uh, wow. The app is a little expensive. I spent, looks like, what, about $9, $10 on this guy. Oh, my. But it's it's not expensive. It's not very expensive. And it has, <laughs> you know, color adjustments. It has saturation, uh, hue. You have curves. All the regular stuff that you would need in order to process your photos. And then you can export those photos still working off of the card so that you don't actually have to store anything on your tablet to a JPEG format. And then if you need to do any other tweaking, you can take those into programs like Snapseed or uh, Polar or Lightroom and do final tweaking, maybe add some vignette or soften up things or take away some of the noise. And you can do all of that without a PC. So what does that mean? That means that DJ can travel with this and this, and I can do away with the laptop and everything else. For you audio people, that was a camera and a tablet. Yes, I'm holding up the, the LX100 <laughs> and the Samsung Tab. Yes, very good, Mitch. Thank you. For... And a cord. You didn't hold up the cord. Oh, and I'm holding... <laughs> I'll hold up the cord, too. <laughs> so all uh, this cord right here, a tablet and a $10 program, and now you have the capability of working on files on your tablet. Now, I will say that processing is a little slow, um, once you add all the effects and everything to your photos and you render them out to JPEG, it takes like 10 seconds or 13 seconds, which is when you're used to Lightroom where it's just snap and you're done, right. it's a little bit laggy. But having that option and the ability to even work on your photos 
like say you're on a flight back to somewhere else. You could work on your photos while you're on the flight without having to get out a tablet or I mean, get out a, a PC Laptop. and yeah. this guy will give you eight to 10 hours of battery life in this super light, tiny form factor. Plus uh, I've been using this for manuals and uh, that sort of thing. And it's really nice having, I didn't think four, four by three was that hot until I started using it to read. And I realized right. I've been right. missing out. So <laughs> thanks Apple. I mean, Samsung for copying <laughs> Apple and their form factor. Yeah. All right, Mitch, these next things are on your side of the fence here. Uh, I understand there's a giveaway at uh, planet 5d. There is a giveaway. Thank you for asking. Uh, I have to, I have to log the time third 40 minutes. Um, Ditto Gear is a company that is a Planet 5D sponsor, so let me say that right up front. But uh, we are running a giveaway for them. If you are interested in their BD slider or their mini jib, they are offering two of those each. And so if you go to planet5d.com slash giveaway, and DJ has pulled that up if you're watching online um, watching the video, uh, this will run through December 31st. They're also doing 15% off on selected items in their store. So you can go shopping in their store and find out all those great deals. But, uh, the great thing about the giveaway, by the way, is you get one entry if you sign up and if you get somebody else to sign up underneath you, you get 10 entries. We have one guy that's already got 187 entries because he shared it on all the different services and he's gotten, no, I take that back. It was 307 entries. He's got 30 people signed up underneath him. So wow, he's got 307 chances to win. And we only announced this yesterday. So you got 30 or 14 days to get people to sign up with you so there's it it the sharing opportunity is great which gives you a lot more opportunity to win so plan5d.com slash giveaway before december 31st and share it i will keep that in the show notes too so if you're looking for that link you guys you can find that in the show notes now mitch i've gone through my holiday picks and awesome low price cameras uh you've got some stuff here actually from hugh it looks like uh you want to cover some of this before we get out of here uh and of course there's there's all kinds of things that are going on uh constantly hugh went through and grabbed six or seven items and we actually haven't published this post so you guys are getting to see it before it's published uh, but he's gone through and picked out some of his favorites uh the first one was a manfrotto pxi Pixie, I, Pixie Mini uh, tabletop yeah. tripod. Thanks, DJ. No problem. Twenty-four dollar purchase if you're looking for a little mini tripod that looks really awesome. There's all sorts of mini tripods out there, but uh, Aperture has the uh, the A Lav, which is a microphone, and I don't know what happened to the image. It was there before. <laughs> I think you deal deleted it. It must be you. Oh, I probably second keyboard hitting backspace. <laughs> Uh, there are some, uh, and, and by the way, if you, if you go look at the blog post, when we get it published, uh, uh, Hugh did compare the A-Lab from Aperture to some other mics and he found them pretty inconsequential in terms of difference. 
so for 32 bucks, that could be a really good deal if you're looking for a, a simple lav mic. Uh, he also has a SanDisk uh, HD uh, SD card. <laughs> oh, my brain. Man, this is a... Good. Lord. So I'm going to read through these for Mitch because he's having a rough time here. Uh, we've got a we've got a SanDisk Extreme Pro 95 meg per second 64 gig card. Uh, these are down to twenty dollars now. While we're talking about that here, I grabbed it, set it somewhere, and then lost it. But I have a uh, 128 terabyte or 100 terabytes. Woo-hoo! This is uh, now I'm doing better than. Now I'm infected. So this is a uh, Transcend uh, 60 meg per second read-write card. It's 120 gig or 128 gig, and they run about $45. I've, I've switched over to these as pretty standard use for most of my cameras. They're so cheap now that it's like, why not have that much space? And I, I will say, when you get into larger capacities, there's always that scare factor of, possibly losing a lot more stuff. So make sure you back up and are are diligent about how you save your photos and so on. But so far I've been using these cards for the last uh, eight months or so and had really good luck with them and put them on pretty much in all of my cameras and been tossing my lower grade cards. This card that, uh, that Hugh linked to here, the 64 gig card is a 95 meg per second card. So if you're a black magic pocket shooter, uh, that would be the speeds you would need in order to capture video with that particular camera. So keep that in mind. Uh, this card that I held up is not fast enough for that, but it does work just oh. fine with the GH4. Now, yeah, there's so there's so many different things you got to think about when you're doing this stuff. Well, it? and and it's going to get weirder because uh, Sandisk was just sold to uh, Western Digital, I believe. Are you kidding? Yeah, they're they're finalizing the deal. I think uh, next month or the, or maybe it might be first quarter of 2016. But uh, when that happens, then Western Digital will own the largest chunk of both data storage for spinning wow. drives as well as solid state drives and uh, well flash memory anyway. And SanDisk was trying to push their way into uh, SSDs, but was kind of floundering as you probably saw oh. by the two hundred dollar nine hundred sixty gig SSD drives from San, uh, from Sandisk that were available on right. Amazon this month. So, right, that's going to happen. Wow, that's uh, that's a big deal. Yeah, and uh, that's a lot of operating capital. I think they're spending. Uh, this is not a stock program, so <laughs> it's it's fairly substantial. If you're interested, uh, there's an article in the New York Times about that. Uh, wow. Next on your list is rechargeable batteries. Looks like you got the classic antelope batteries. Am I saying that right? Antelope? Works for me. Now, I'm going to go with antelope. Antelope batteries, if you're not familiar with them, they're some of the best uh, rechargeable batteries for flash applications. They have a high amp hour rating and they retain their voltage for quite some time. I did test with these versus some of the cheaper batteries and the antelope batteries, once you charge them, will hold the charge at least to 80% or so for six months or better being left in your bag. So they are really good, worth the extra money, and they're great for flash applications. So if you have a lot of flash rolling around, uh, that's where you go. Stuff, man. This is... I, I should just not... I just listen, okay? <laughs> Rolling down the line here, Google Cardboard. Well, I mean... Have you seen this before? I have. Uh, have you? There are various flavors, and actually, 
Google Cardboard, if you're not familiar with it, uh, there was a Star Wars-themed R2-T2 version that was basically just cardboard with, you know, some Star Wars stuff painted on the outside of it, and those sold out almost immediately. I think they were $27 on ThinkGeek. So uh, you can build these yourself, too. There are plans to print out the cutting patterns for Google uh, Cardboard, and if you're not familiar with it, basically it's just a method for shoving your phone in front of your eyes in order to accomplish sort of a VR uh, on the dirt cheap level. So uh-huh. it's interesting. It's kind of cool. I had no clue. See, this is all new to me, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it. Because I... <laughs> Where do you find time to see all this stuff, DJ? I don't sleep very much. Apparently. Good Lord. I, I, I was looking at my schedule uh, last week and I worked 60 hours, uh, came home and did the podcasts edited for 15 hours. And I managed to read two books and, uh, go through, uh, plow through a number of articles on my RSS feeder. Wow. And uh, I'm looking at the time that I spent and realizing that I only actually had five and a half hours to sleep <laughs> because of the amount of stuff I was doing. That's not good. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's another not, story altogether. Let's not let's not dive into that. Now, uh, last thing on the list here, and I'll let you cover this because I I don't know what this is. Honestly, is this some sort of pan and tilt head? Is that what I'm seeing here? Is it's a, a me photo smartphone holder? So it's the idea is that you can use this device to grab your smartphone if you're going to shoot video with your smartphone uh, or stills, but most people would read it really need it for uh shooting video like you know you're gonna do uh you're gonna stop shooting with the t4i and you're gonna use your iphone in order to do all your shots from now on that's kind of one direction i've talked about going for stuff that i do but anyway so it's is, just a way to... is this a clamp that you hold on to then is that or is this just like to set your camera down Okay, yeah. so right. I, I'm looking at the picture here. For those of you listening, th- it's a stand that will hold your phone up, and you can tilt it either vertically or horizontally. Uh, right. Please go with the latter, not the former, and <laughs> uh, you can shoot video without having to hold your phone up. So now I understand. I thought this was a handle of some kind that you held onto, but apparently that's not the case. No, it's just for slapping on your table. Now, there are, there are ones that make more sense that you could put on a tripod. I don't believe this one has a, a threaded bottom. That's the one that I've been using, actually, the shoulder pod. Yeah, this looks like it. Awesome um, little device. I love that one. This is about the same price, $34.90 for the shoulder pro, uh, pod S1 professional smartphone rig. Uh, that's a mouthful in and among itself. I don't know why these people name their stuff with such long descriptions. Uh, but this guy actually does have a quarter 20 on the bottom. So if you're trying to right. put your camera on a tripod, and it, is that a weight I see then as that bottom portion, Mitch, to hold your no, phone it's upright? Just, it's, it's, it is a little bit heavy, but um, it's, it's actually just a handle so that you can use hand hold it. You have multiple ways of doing it, and they have the leather strap there that you can wrap around your wrist. I I use that sucker a lot. I really like it. Um, and if you're gonna if and you can leave your phone mounted to it. I that picture that you have now where the, it's on the strap. Yeah. Uh, I've walked around as I would with my DSLR, with my phone attached to that, and used it to shoot photos or video. 
strapped to my hand, so I'm not afraid of losing it. Uh, it's a great little device. I like it. Now, I have a question for you, Mitch, and this is something I haven't actually done. It, have you ever shot any anything of, of merit on a phone or a tablet? Like, I mean, I'm not saying award-winning films, obviously, <laughs> but have you shot anything like a, a full product review or anything like that? I was at oh, yeah. NAB last year or the year before, and I saw a bunch of people filming entire interviews and so on on smartphones, and I was kind of blown away by that as an option. Uh, yes, actually, uh, I <clears throat> excuse me, I did several reports uh, with my iPhone at NAB last year. Hugh has done every video interview recently. He went to the Canon Expo. He went to NAB with me. He's gone. To, he went to Photo Plus. <clears throat> Excuse me. And all of those interviews he shot with his iPhone. It's it's in terms of speed, especially uh, there's an app called Videolicious that I think I've mentioned before, and I. At the time, they were changing their pricing. Originally, it was really cheap at $5 a month for handling video. Long story, but Videolicious has the ability to shoot a whole bunch of B-roll. And you shoot B-roll, and then you start recording your on-camera part. So let's say, and I did this, I did this several times at NAB. So you go, you shoot, you know, Red Rock Micro's new follow focus thing, and you take a couple of B-roll shots, and then you stand there either with your subject or yourself, and you start recording, and you say, well, I'm here at NAB 2015, and I'm talking about the Red Rock, blah, 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 and you push on the screen the B-roll, and the B-roll starts playing in the background while you're still doing the voiceover. And then it finishes up and it comes back to you and you finish your tail end of it and you push, I'm done, and you upload it to YouTube and you have your report online. I did this. I had I had video online of the Black Magic new announcements before the announcements went out because I walked into their booth and I do- shot some video and I did a voiceover before the product announcements, and it was on YouTube before anybody else had it. So the other guys, by the way, like um, the other guys, I won't mention names, are recording with three or four guys. They're doing several different camera shots, and it takes them 20 minutes to do an interview. They take the uh, cards back to the hotel room or up to the editing suite, and it takes them another couple of hours to do the edit and then upload and put all their stuff on there. And they're a day or two behind everybody else who's shooting stuff like with the iPhone. It's a it's an awesome tool for certain kinds of usage. Yeah, I was actually in the newsroom uh, last year, the year before, at a couple of different conferences covering products. And uh, there was a kid sitting next to me just trapped as the editor for everything that was coming back and they were bringing back, you know, 20 and 30 shots. And then he was throwing in there 
their uh, pre-roll. He was throwing in all the product cuts, and it was taking him, you know, it takes a good 40 or 50 minutes to do a decent edit on that many clips. So if you could kick something out like this, I mean, especially for event coverage, where it doesn't really matter the quality as much as it's like you can get your hands on it, you can see it, you want to have it out there so that people can take a full look at the product, and that's all you really need to do in order to accomplish something like that. It, and and Videolicious was the perfect tool. And it's the only one, at least at, at NAB time, it was the only one on the market that is doing that kind of stuff. It's a fabulous little tool. I, I don't mean to plug them. They were talking about going more enterprise level because uh, they were, uh, original pricing was $5 a month. Because what they do is they actually upload the videos and they process them and then they upload them to YouTube. So there was you know, their own hosting and kind of stuff that they were wanting to charge for. And, and uh, you could use it for free or pay $5 a month and blah, blah, blah. They decided they weren't making any money doing the free version. So last I heard they were going with a more enterprise level. So, but, you know, news crews would be the perfect market for that kind of tool. Because like I said, I, I had videos I could produce a video in 10 minutes and have it online before anybody else could with an iPhone. And it was, it was an awesome, awesome tool. Yeah. I'm looking right now on their site and I put a link to this in the show notes, but I don't see any pricing mentioned anymore. And if you want to use it either for media, real estate or social videos, you have to contact them and get an email back. So uh, they've definitely kind of closed their door to, uh, looks like the little guys like like ourselves. So right, but I mean, again, the, the concept was brilliant, and I was I was very impressed with what they were doing. Yeah, one other thing while we're talking about this, and then we'll close up the show because this has kind of been a random grab bag show. Um, Google's algorithms for randomly editing your videos together are pretty decent as well. Yeah. Um, I I currently have been backing up every video I've ever created. Uh, for no reason other than it's an option for me. So I leave my computer continually uploading uh, continuously. Comcast probably hates my guts. But uh, every so often, like Google will go through a timeline and they'll take photos, videos, and so on and create these little vignettes. And sometimes it's it's really off. Like uh, I had a, a death scene where a girl gets her throat cut open and blood shoots everywhere. And then the guy takes a, a saw and, and chops this lady's head in half and like blood is just flying in his face. And then after that, I went and took my dogs to the dog park and there's pictures. <laughs> and so like Google created this weird, like it's got happy whistly music to it. And I'm, you know, people are getting murdered and then taking my dogs to the dog park. And then um, here's my dinner for the evening and stuff. But other times, you know, you travel and you dump your travel videos and and photos into uh, Google and it kicks out these little two minute, three minute things that are really nice. Now, if there's some way to maybe combine those two, use Google's API with uh, something like Videolicious, that would be phenomenal. Somebody get out there and make that happen. Yeah. Well, and, and part of the problem was the fact that you had to do perfect timing I mean, the free version was a minute, right? So you could do exactly 60 seconds, which is what I was doing. Uh, so you had to, I actually had to record them typically twice because you were like, oh, and then you get to the end and you weren't really done. But um, 
So the $5 a month version at the time was you could have up to five minutes, I think, for videos. But if you could have it just if you could just record the voiceover and then have it figure out how long to do the B-roll shots, assuming you had enough B-roll shots to fill in, that would be even better, I think. But anyway, way off topic. All right. Well, that was the Mitch and DJ Christmas episode uh, for programming notes, guys. Next week is Christmas. Yoo-hoo! So we will be off for that week and possibly the next week after that is New Year's, isn't it? Yeah. Do they both yeah. fall on like a Friday? Yes, they do. All right. Well, uh, Mitch and I will be back in two weeks. In uh, three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Three yeah. weeks. Okay. Three so weeks. Yeah. we'll be back in three weeks. In a new year, um, there'll be one more episode with Devin uh, coming up next week. And then after that, guys, we'll see you next year. So thanks, Mitch, for having a great year on this podcast. It's been really fun over the last year as uh, me personally uh, moving all over the world (laughs) and you putting up with it. So definitely nice to have Mitch as a stable part of the DSLR Film New Podcast. Mitch, where can people find you? Uh, there's a website called planet5d.com. Uh, you want to see some of the photos that I've taken recently of fog and awesome stuff, you can find those on planetmitch.com. And please don't forget the great giveaway that's running for the next two weeks at planet5d.com giveaway. And as always, guys, you can find this on iTunes, SoundCloud, and anywhere podcasts are distributed. You can also swing over to dslrfilmnoob.com for some more updates randomly as I put those up. Make sure to like, write, comment, and say that we're awesome because we enjoy those. Uh, Also, send in your questions anytime you want. Uh, Post those on the YouTube channel. We try to answer them when we can. Thanks again for listening to DSLR Film New Podcast, and we will see you next year.